You are listening to a sermon by Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church in Escondido, California. For more information about New Life, visit us online at newlifepca.com. That's N-E-W-L-I-F-E-P-C-A dot com. Well, we just completed our, our preaching series through the Old Testament book of Daniel. Uh, I hope you were as encouraged by that series as much as I was. Uh, in two weeks, we're going to start a new uh, preaching series in the New Testament uh, going through the book of Acts. Uh, I'm really looking forward to this. We haven't actually, I haven't uh, done it here at New Life uh, in, in all my time here. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it. So right now we find ourselves between series. I'm doing a little bit of the background research for the Acts series. So today is going to be a standalone sermon and next week will be a standalone sermon for, for communion and for Brian's uh, ordination. And uh, today, as, as James mentioned, we're going to uh, go back to gospel basics. Uh, now that's, as James is right, I mean, the, the, the gospel is, is uh, so simple a child can understand it, but it's so nuanced and complex that it's, you know, it's, it takes a lifetime and you still haven't plumbed its depths. Uh, but... Um, it's always good to go back and review the fundamentals, uh, you know, as any good coach would do. So today we're going to do that, and we're going to do it by unpacking um, Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Philippians 3, 1 through 11. Um, it's printed for you in the bulletin if you don't have your Bible. And I'm going to ask if you're able to please stand for the reading of God's Word. It's God's word. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had... I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is God's word. You may be seated. 
Let's pray. Lord, would you help me to communicate your truth clearly today and help us all, including the preacher, to understand it and to apply it, live it in our lives for our joy and for your glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Christian sociologist and professor Tony Campolo uh, tells a story about being on a business trip years ago, having a a late-night cup of coffee in an all-night diner. As he was there, a boisterous group of prostitutes uh, walked in, and Campolo overheard their conversation. One of the prostitutes, a woman named Agnes, mentioned that the next day was was her birthday, and her companions uh, sort of joked around with her and asked her sarcastically whether she, what, what did she want? Did she want them to throw her a party? And she said, no, I'm not asking you to throw me a party. She says, I have never had a birthday party in my life, and I'm certainly not going to ask, uh, start asking for one now. Well, Campola was listening, and, and eventually Agnes and her friends left, and and Campolo asked the diner owner, does, does, does that group of uh, prostitutes, they come in every night, every night, like clockwork? And he goes, hey, I've got an idea. Why don't we, what would you say if tomorrow we threw a uh, surprise birthday party for Agnes? Well, the, uh, the diner owner loved the idea, and he agreed to bake the cake, the birthday cake, Campolo said that uh, after his meetings the next day, he would go out and get decorations and come and uh, decorate the uh, diner. Uh, And and he did that. The next day he showed up. Uh, Apparently the owner had put the word out to the street walking community because the diner was completely full of prostitutes. And Tony Campolo. Uh, Everybody pitched in and decorated the place and... uh, uh, and finally, uh, as on cue, uh, Agnes and her friends uh, walked in, and she was uh, just shocked when everybody yelled happy birthday and then started singing happy birthday, and then the diner owner uh, walked out with the birthday cake and the candles. She was overcome. Uh, she couldn't speak. She was weeping. And in fact, she had never, having never had a birthday cake, uh, she didn't want to cut it. Didn't want to eat it. Uh, she asked quietly uh, if she could take it home. And uh, at some point in the evening, Campolo stood up in the midst of the diner there and prayed. Prayed for, for Agnes. Prayed for her salvation. Prayed that God would uh, change her life and be gracious to her. And after he finished praying, the diner owner uh, said, Hey, I ne- you never told me you were a preacher. Um, what kind of church do you belong to? And uh, in, in one of those rare moments when just the right words come, uh, Campolo answered and said, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for whores at 3.30 in the morning. Well, that's a great story. It's a true story. Uh, the names have been changed to protect the innocent or the guilty. Um, but you know, I, I, I tell that story because it's 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 countercultural, isn't it? Our culture puts 
such high value on things like power and competition and, and uh, competence and achievement and popularity and beauty and excellence. All the things that Agnes does, didn't have. But Jesus Christ, by contrast, puts a high value on uh, lastness, lostness, leastness, littleness, and deadness. That's who Agnes is. Right? She's among the last, the lost, the least, the little, and the dead. And I, I think Philippians 3 uh, should cause you and me to ask the question, are you, am I, am I among the last, the lost, the least, the little, and the dead? Actually, as we'll discover, you need to be. We all need to be. Even if you're Elon Musk, you need to be last, lost, least, little, and dead. You see, Christians follow uh, a very different script, a radically different script than the world follows. Uh, And that script is called the gospel, the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, And the gospel affects everything, right? It affects uh, how you think, how you act, what you value, how you treat other people, and how and where you get your joy. And so much of this book, uh, Philippians, um, is about joy. Um, so we're going to unpack this tonight, today, um, and we, there's no possible way we can touch on everything. So I'm going to focus on three truths that come out of this uh, text. First truth is Christians put no confidence in their resumes. Second truth, Christians put all their confidence in Jesus' resume. And then the third truth is that Christians know the serious joy of being the last, the lost, the least, the little, and the dead. By the way, you, you've heard me use that phrase before. I didn't invent it. Uh, that comes from an Episcopal priest whose theology I by and large don't recommend, but he has a, a, a good understanding of grace, and, and I think he gets it right with that phrase there, the last, the lost, the least, the little, and the dead. So truth number one. Christians put no confidence in their resumes. This is verses 1 through 8. Verse 1, Paul opens up by telling us to rejoice in the Lord. Right? That, that prepositional phrase makes all the difference. Not, don't just be joyful, right? But rejoice in the Lord. Find the basis for your joy, Christian, in Jesus. Now, why is he reminding us to do that? Because the culture says, find your joy in almost anything other than Jesus. Right? The culture is pressing us into its mold and, and pressing us to find joy in our achievements, in our characteristics, in our qualities, right? But listen, friends, when your joy depends upon your power, uh, you beating the competition, 
your competence, your beauty, your achievements, your excellence, your popularity, all the kinds of things you would put on a resume, the fact is you're not going to be joyful. You'll have your days, right? But you'll also, because there will be times when, you know, you have those good resume days. When, when those days work out and you're a success and, and it all comes together and you're feeling good about yourself and you're joyful. But there are other days, maybe even more days, where you, you, you're not. You're despairing. You're not succeeding. And so life becomes not joyful, but really a, 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 a roller coaster ride, frenetic roller coaster ride between, uh, you know, highs, uh, performance highs, and performance despair. Um, one of my favorite movies is, uh, is now an old one, <laughs> Chariots of Fire. I think it was 1983. Uh, story about a Christian uh, Olympian and missionary Eric Little. Uh, there was another character in that movie uh, that was also focused on a Jew, uh, a sprinter, Olympic sprinter by the name of Harold Abrahams. Um, and there's a wonderful scene in that movie before uh, a race where Harold Abrahams is in the locker room and he says this, as he's preparing for the race. In one hour's time, I will be out there again. I will raise my eyes and look down that corridor four feet wide with ten lonely seconds to justify my existence. But will I? But will I? See, that's it. Abraham's illustrates what... What the world pushes us into, right? The world pushes us into this mold of self-justification. And, and when, when, it's, when your life is, is, is a repeating exercise of trying to justify your existence, how in the world can you be joyful? You can't be. Well, by way of background, I mean, Paul is addressing these issues because um, some teachers had come into this church in Philippi that Paul had, had planted. Uh, we call them Judaizers today. Uh, I think Paul called them the party of the circumcision. A little more awkward, but uh, that, that's what he called them. Um, and... Uh, and the reason is, uh, these, these teachers came in after Paul and were teaching that, listen, in order to be a Christian, you need to do, you need to, you know, put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So far, so good. And you have to have a resume. You have to have a resume of faithful obedience to the law. And the first step of obeying the law, particularly for men and painfully for men, was circumcision. 
That's why they were called the party of the circumcision. They were insisting that, that anyone who was coming to Jesus who was not circumcised, any man who was coming to Jesus not circumcised, needed to become circumcised. Just step one of developing a self-justifying resume. Right? Um, Paul is writing here to say, that is not the gospel. That's anti-gospel. Anytime you add your resume, listen friends, anytime you add your resume to the work of Jesus, you are, to paraphrase John Calvin, diluting good wine with dirty water. Even your best performance doesn't cut it with the high and holy one, uh, the majestic creator of the universe. Uh, And Paul, so Paul takes that argument on, and in verses 4 through 8, he says, listen, they want you to build a resume uh, of obedience to the law. If you want to talk about resumes, let's talk about my resume. That's what Paul's doing. He says, okay, listen, if, if it's about developing resume, look at my resume. Mine's got you beat. Mine will have you beat every day. I've got a gold-plated resume. Uh, A resume of of a great family heritage. uh, A resume of of great uh, intellectual accomplishment. A great resume of religious religious accomplishment, religious zeal. Um, And Paul says... Next to knowing Christ, right? Next to the surpassing greatness of, of Jesus Christ. What, what, you know what I've done? He says, I've taken all of these things, and, and these are, they're all good things. They're not, not bad things. Uh, but he says, they are, I, I, I've now moved them from the profit column in my, on my income statement to the loss column. Right? These things that I, that I previously found my joy in, I previously found my identity in, my significance, my meaning, all these things, uh, I, I, now, I now count them in the lost column. I count them as rubbish, it says here, right? That's a polite translation. And, and the translator, I understand what the translators are doing. But it it doesn't do us a good service because Paul was being deliberately vulgar here uh, because he wanted to to shake the Philippian and shake them out of their stupor uh, of moving away from the gospel. Really, a more literal and vulgar translation of this is he says, "I, I now count all of that that I previously valued as crap. That's what it is. Certainly that in terms of trying to, in terms of its value of earning favor with God and of having a joy, a real joy, a joy that doesn't depend upon my circumstances, doesn't depend upon my performance, which is uneven. And the key point, really, he gets at at the end of verse 8 and the first part of verse 9 there, where, where he says, um, I, I count all my religious accomplishments to be 
crap, excuse me, in order that. See, that's a very, very important purpose clause. That in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Do you, see, do you hear what Paul's saying? He's saying, unless you disavow your resume, unless you admit that next to God you are the last, the lost, the least, the little, and the dead, you're going to miss Jesus. You won't know his salvation. You will be a self-savior. Now, unless you think that's just Paul being his cranky self, uh, you know, you, we, you need to remember that really Paul is just saying in a different way exactly what Jesus himself said. We looked at it actually a few weeks ago. Um, Jesus uh, in Mark 10, where Jesus was rebuking his disciples for uh, preventing parents from bringing their, their children to Jesus. And, and Jesus said, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. You remember that? When we went through that. And what does it mean for you to receive the kingdom like a child? Well, think about it. A child is last, lost, least, little, and spiritually dead. A child is utterly incapable of doing anything that would go on a resume. A child is utterly dependent upon others for what it needs to live and thrive. Uh, The only thing a child can do is receive what it cannot produce or earn for itself. So friends, right, it's a reminder, no matter how accomplished an adult you are, as the world defines it, as... uh, as religion defines it, right? No matter how accomplished you are, uh, in relation to God, you are an infant. Utterly dependent on God, utterly unable on your own to build a resume that will gain Christ and be found in Him. If you're still not convinced, Jesus said it again. In, an, in another way, in Matthew chapter 7, when he's talking about the end times. And, and Jesus says there, speaking about that last day, the last judgment, uh, final judgment. And Jesus said, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do many mighty works in your name? And Jesus says, and then I will declare to them, depart from me, I never knew you. You see what those people were doing? They were coming to God like adults with resumes. Look what I've done. Look at my results. They weren't coming to God like Agnes. One of the last, the lost, the least, the little, and the dead. And who knew she was. They were relying on their religious performance. And Jesus said he never knew them uh, because, because they had actually never 
disclose themselves to him. Right? You, you, you know, a relationship uh, requires uh, mutual disclosure, mutual transparency. It requires that the masks come down um, and, uh, you know, sort of full disclosure. But these people never did it, right? Though they did things in Jesus' name, and Jesus used them, but he didn't know them. They had never gotten to the point of taking the mask off and getting down before the Lord and saying, and, and confessing and admitting their complete inability to do it on their own. Their total dependence on Jesus. That's what it takes. And I know that's hard. I mean, you know, full disclosure is always hard. But it ought not to be so hard with God because he knows it anyway. Right? You're not disclosing to him anything that's going to surprise him. And ironically, what you discover, of course, in doing that is that it's your very disqualification that qualifies you for Jesus. It's crazy. Um, and, and, but this is why so many people are offended by the gospel. And if you're not a Christian here today, this probably is sounding really strange to you and really offensive, right? Because this is, of course, really rubbing against the grain of our culture, uh, where, where, where the culture uh, says that, you know, it, it values self-reliance, values self-sufficiency, values self-justification. Right? And the gospel cuts right against it. Um, it's like one of the ghosts, not a ghost really, he's, they seem like ghosts, in, in C.S. Lewis's allegory, The Great Divorce. You know that story? Um, where, where a group of people take a bus from hell to heaven, and um, heaven is so real that these real people in the bus look like ghosts up there. And they're in heaven. Um, and the grass hurts their feet because the grass is so real. And, 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 and they're so ethereal by contrast. It's a, it's, that's a great idea. And, and there, are, there are residents of heaven up there, people who had, had died and gone to heaven, who are, who are the guides for these people. One, you know, a guide that is attached to each person. And they're kind of taken around the outskirts of heaven and, and, and being talked into coming into heaven. You know, leave hell, come into heaven. And um, w- w- this, this one man had, had taken the bus and, and he's a Proud man, a blue-collar man, a hard-working man, worked all his life, um, honestly. Um, his guide, uh, which really stuck in his craw, was a guy he had known in life that had actually been a murderer, uh, but who ended up in heaven. Um, and that was uh, upsetting, this guy. He says, I can't believe you're here. You should be down that place. You know? Um but he's being taken around heaven, and this, this proud blue-collar man says to his guide this, and I'm quoting now, I don't say I have no faults, far from it. But I've done my best all my life, see? I only want my rights. I want what I've earned. I only want my rights. I'm not asking for anyone's bleeding charity. 
And that's when the guide jumps in and says, oh, do, oh, then do. Ask for the bleeding charity. Everything here is for the asking and absolutely nothing can be bought. Wonderful play on, on, on the Britishers' use of bleeding. Bleeding charity, um, a vulgarity in his mouth. You know, I don't want anybody's charity. Um, and bleeding charity referring to the bleeding love uh, of uh, Jesus. Um, and just re- I'm reminding us again, there's no quid pro quo with God. There's no bargaining with God. Your religious accomplishments, your charitable giving, your moral performance, all of it uh, is fine, but it is not currency in God's kingdom. Okay? So speaking of bleeding charity, let's move on to truth two, which is Christians put all their confidence in Jesus' resume. Okay? And, and this truth comes from, I think, one of the most brilliant and compact statements of the gospel in the New Testament, and it's verse 9, right, where, where Paul has said, um, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ... Uh, and be found in him, right, here it is, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. There it is. You know, a lot of people, listen, a lot of people, even a lot of Christians, think that the gospel is Jesus Christ died on the cross to save me from my sins. That that if I believe in Jesus, uh, that that my uh, sins will be forgiven. That is absolutely true, but it's only half the gospel. It's only half. Right? If listen, if the gospel was just that Jesus forgives my sins, you know, Jesus died on the cross to forgive me from my sins. If it was just about forgiveness, essentially what you're saying is, oh, well, then what the gospel does is clean you up and put you at the starting line. Right? Sort of like in the position Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. Uh, your life then kind of goes. Like the ending of, functionally it goes, like the ending of the movie Saving Private Ryan. Uh, and, and if you remember that movie, the, the officer uh, played by Tom Hanks who, who led the unit that, that, that um, actually saved Private Ryan's life. And he is, he's wounded, this officer, and he's dying. And he's, and he's saying his last words to Private Ryan. And the last words out as he dies to Private Ryan are, earn this. Earn this. Functionally, a lot of Christians live out their Christian faith 
like Private Ryan lived out his life after that officer told him to earn it. Right? Christians, many Christians will say, you know, and believe, they say, I'm saved, I'm forgiven uh, by, the, by grace, by the death of Jesus, but functionally they then say, or do, essentially believe, that now I have to earn it. Now I have to make myself worthy of it. Um, which is why you get the phenomenon of well, Martin Luther, historically, Martin Luther, um, you know, being criticized for never being able to get out of the confessional, right? As a monk, they they accused him of you know trying to get out of chores because he right, he'd go in and he'd confess his sins and he'd go out and and no sooner did he get out and he'd start to do something that he would find himself sinning again and he'd have to run back to the confessional. He was in a he was in a prison. Of, of having to earn the forgiveness uh, of, uh, of Jesus. It's why you see in our culture so many Christians being saved numerous times, right? That phenomenon of walking down the aisle, accepting every invitation to accept Christ, right? Uh, at every evangelistic event. Why, why does somebody do that? Because they don't think they're saved, they don't, they don't know if they've done enough. You see, that's because they've, they're only believing half a gospel. Right? Look what Paul's saying here. He says, put your faith in Christ and you receive. Notice what he says. You don't receive forgiveness. Now you do, but that's not what he says here. What does he say you receive? Righteousness. That's huge. I mean, there's the difference, right? The, the gospel is a very nuanced exchange. You need to, and this is, this is where we, we just need to be reminded of this um, all the time. Um, most people conceive of it, not most, a lot of people conceive it, of it as you know, I give Jesus my sin, he gives me forgiveness. But that's, that's too simple, right? The, the gospel is you give Jesus the only thing you come to the table with, right? Which is your sin, your shame, your guilt, everything. And you give it, you put it on Jesus, right? You give it to Jesus. And, and then in return, God gives you two things. He gives you forgiveness and he can give you forgiveness because the sin, shame, and guilt has been put on Jesus and Jesus has been executed for your sin, shame, and guilt. And that opens the way for God to justly forgive you. He can justly forgive you because the just penalty has been paid, not by you, but by another, Jesus. And since the penalty's been paid, he's not going to extract it from you. So he, so he forgives you. That's the just. God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. So we get, we get forgiveness from God, but we get something else. We get Jesus' resume. We get his righteousness. See, this is what we tend to forget. It's... it's 
right? So you're, so you're not just put at the starting line as a Christian. When you put your faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross, you are taken to the finish line. It's, it's as if God uh, emailed you and there was an attachment on the email, and he says, see the attached resume. Uh, you are hereby authorized to, re- you know, to, to remove the name and replace it with your name. And so you open up the attachment. It's the resume of Jesus. It says Jesus Christ at the top. And you, you delete it and type in your own name. That's currency in, in God's kingdom. God gives you that resume. It says, I'm going to credit this resume as yours. So you're not just forgiven. You, you, you have Jesus' resume. You, have, you, you are covered in his perfect obedience that you don't come close to, that I don't come close to, that the Apostle Paul didn't come close to. You have it right now. You're f- totally forgiven and totally deemed by God to be righteous, have the righteousness of Jesus. It's unbelievable, you say, right? In fact, you say it's so unbelievable, it's too good to be true. And I, will, I say in reply, unless you're saying that, I haven't preached the gospel faithfully. The gospel is so good, it ought to raise the question, well then, if, it's, if that's true, if it's that good, then I can live like hell. Right? Yeah, Romans, that's what Paul, I mean, we know Paul got that question. Why not sin all the more so that grace will abound all the more? Paul's response was, God forbid. Right? I mean, if, if you're tempted to think that way, to respond that way, I mean, it, just, it, it means that you haven't really grasped, gotten your head around what it took for, for the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive you and to give you his righteousness, right? The depth of the love and the depth of the cost, the depth of the humility that Jesus had to go through uh, in order to forgive you and to give you his righteousness. Um, re- remember my, one of my favorite passages in Hebrews 12, right? Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Why did Jesus endure the cross and despise its shame? For the joy set before him, the joy set before him. And what was the joy set before Jesus? It wasn't that it would be over, although I'm, you know, I'm sure that was good. It wasn't the joy of going to heaven. He could have that without going to the cross. Jesus said so. All I have to do is say the word. I've got legions of angels who come and escort me to heaven. The joy set before Jesus in enduring the cross and despising its shame was you having you with him, taking you with him. You know, it's just, it's mind-boggling. 
So speaking of joy then, let's transition to point three, truth three. We know then um, the serious joy of the last, the lost, the least, the little, and the dead. And this is verses 10 and 11. There is something um, powerfully joy-giving, powerfully freeing, powerfully relieving in sort of dropping the backpack of self-justification. Dropping the backpack of self-reliance. Dropping the backpack of self-sufficiency. Of admitting, finally admitting, that your resume is crap. And that you are in your own strength, apart from the Lord Jesus, last, lost, least, little, and dead. That's who Jesus came for, right? He said it over and over again. I didn't, you know, I didn't come for the, for the, the righteous. I came for sinners. And of course what he means is, you know, there's nobody that's righteous, but there are a lot of people that think they are. And in that thinking, they miss uh, Jesus. It's, it's the freedom and the joy of the little child, right? Sitting in unasking trust on his parents, his or her parents' lap, right? Somehow in that little baby mind, knowing that I'm safe here, I'm provided for here, I'm loved here. I'm okay here, right? That I'm, I'm accepted here, that this is, this is where I belong. Paul points out three things in these last two verses that come from our faith, when our faith in, in Jesus, right? When we stop trusting in ourselves and start trusting in Jesus and, and, and we're receiving his forgiveness and his righteousness. Uh, three things come that ultimately translate, friends, to serious joy. And we need serious joy. We're in a time that militates against joy, aren't we? Um, three things that give us joy that transcend uh, our circumstances that we can have at all times. Uh, first, first thing. First thing as a result of, of faith in Jesus Christ is that you know God. See, Paul says that, that I may know God. And just in the way that said, right, we, we know already that this is, you know, while some people may think Presbyterians are all about doctrine and study and whatnot, it, all of the purpose of doctrine and study is, is for the purpose of knowing a person. You know, a, 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 an utterly unique person, but knowing a person, being in relationship with the living God. Paul says this is, this is what we have when we trust 
in Jesus Christ and receive his forgiveness and his righteousness. We know God, and which means that the reverse is true, right? That God knows you. That's even better news. It means that you will never hear from Jesus, depart from me, I never knew you. Because to get to the point of, 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 of God knowing you and you knowing God, you have to admit, right, that your last loss leaves little in debt. That you need what Jesus provides. The gospel means that you and all your lastness, lostness, leastness, littleness, and deadness are, as we like to say here in New Life, fully known and fully loved. And, you know, that phrase is, don't let it just go by. It's incredibly meaningful to me. Think, think about fully known and fully loved. The closest analog I can come to that we might, a lot, number of us would, I think, know and experience is marriage, right? In, 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 in marriage, um, there is one person... <laughs> You have one person in the world who knows you as fully as a person can, right? Linda knows the good in me and she knows the bad in me and yet remarkably still loves me, right? And I remember as a young married man, just just married, I, I forget how long, but kind of coming to that realization of, wow, you know, I am, Linda fully knows me and fully loves me. And what, what security that gives you, right? What confidence that gives you. What strength it gives you to wake up and face the day when the one person most important to you really knows you, warts and all, and still loves you. Well, that's what, that's what the gospel does for you and Jesus. All right? What confidence to be able to wake up in the morning to know Jesus fully knows me and fully loves me. Like a wife, like a husband. Second thing, you know the power of his resurrection. I, we could preach probably, a, would do a whole seminar on the power of the resurrection and what it means to know the power of his resurrection. Uh, I, the, the implications of that are vast, but let me, at a very practical level, let me tell you what I think that means. And I can illustrate it best by referring to another passage from, from Paul in Galatians chapter 6. I think it's 6. It's in Galatians somewhere where Paul's talking about the cross. And whenever Paul talks about the cross, he, he, he never is talking about just the cross. It's all, that's shorthand for, for the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, right? Uh, you can't really understand the cross without also understanding the resurrection. So in, in Galatians, he says, uh, through the cross, I have been crucified to the world and the world's been crucified to me. That, I think, is a statement of resurrection power. Right? When, when you've been crucified to the world and, uh, and, and the world has been crucified to you, what that means is the world 
can, does not have the power to jerk you around anymore. You're not a slave to its values. You're not a slave to its acceptance. You're not destined by its storylines. You aren't bound by its definitions of beauty. You're free. Right? the The world holds nothing that you absolutely need that Jesus hasn't given you. And the world holds nothing that can ultimately separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus your Lord. And that's power for living. And that's power for joy. When you can get up and know the world doesn't, it can't jerk me around anymore. Right? It's been crucified to me. And I to the world. And then third and finally, and, and this is where joy gets serious. Uh, as a Christian, you will know suffering. Know Jesus. Know the power of his resurrection. Know his suffering. Becoming like him in his death. It's going to happen. You know, health and wealth preachers be damned. Uh, Jesus says it, the Bible says it over and over again. Follow Jesus and you will suffer. No servant is greater than his master. The fact of the matter is, you and I are walking into a world now increasingly, right? We're aware of this. We're holding a message that's deeply offensive to people. Increasingly offensive to people. Our values, our freedom is, is, uh, offends people. So we're going to suffer. Um, the logic here is that it's that, you know, suffering is linked to joy. And, and the fact of the matter is that, that, that joy actually deepens as suffering increases. See, it shows you why this is so much different. Joy is so much different than, than performance-driven highs, right? Circumstantial highs. No, joy deepens as suffering Increases. How is that? Why is that? Because as you suffer, maybe you lose your position. Maybe your profitability of your business goes down. Maybe you lose your job. Maybe you fail a test. Maybe uh, at school. Um, maybe a relationship breaks up. Uh, what does that do? Well, in, the, in stripping that stuff away from you, 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 you necessarily, as a Christian, fall into the arms of Jesus and you just fall more and more into the arms of Jesus for, for comfort and affirmation and strength and, and a reaffirmation of your value and your identity. That it doesn't depend on those things. That you're just as loved whether you're the CEO of this company or whether you, you're, you're out on the streets. Right? So... That's why our, 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 our joy in Jesus increases as we suffer because we, 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 
we, we in a sense feel his arms around us even even tighter right as we as we lean on him and it, and we also it's also in suffering we also remember that Jesus suffered uh, and and that helps us too uh, and increases our joy when you think about the fact that Jesus Jesus the Son of God became last lost least little and dead for you right Jesus became last so you wouldn't ultimately be last but first. Jesus was lost so that you will never ever be lost but found. Jesus became one of the least of these so that you will never be the least but you'll be a child of God. Jesus became little so that you will not be little, but glorious. And Jesus died so that you will not be dead, but eternally alive. When we, when we understand that, then we have, uh, and we know that security in Christ, then we have what it takes not only to persevere in suffering, but to have joy in our suffering. Aren't gospel basics awesome? Right? The gospel's good. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for your gospel and to be reminded of it again. Um, we pray that as, as your people, we could increasingly live it out. Um, live out, not of our own self-justifying resumes, but live out of, of your resume and your acceptance and love uh, of us, your identity the identity that you give us and the meaning and significance you give us. Thank you for all of that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido. Please visit us in Escondido, California, or online at newlifepca.com. New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido, reserves all copyrights as applicable by law. Thank you for listening.